What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and all the places you need your music to be. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in-store 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor fastest payouts they help out with automatic splits cover song clearance and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases i dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians bands studio artists DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home, and they also offer label services as well. They've got three different tiers to offer creators that start as low as $22.99 a year. That's just $1.92 per month, and even their top tier breaks down to only $7.50 per month. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper for you. Check out the link in the episode notes. I also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it'll give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKids sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their longtime support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Drops. Drops are an organ-based edible company and one of my go-tos when I'm heading into the dispensary. Their consistency and price point keeps them in my regular rotation of gummies. I love their 100 milligram canisters that have the little 5 milligram bites in there. They make it easy to monitor dosage and not get unexpectedly blasted. The chill ones are my favorite. They're this banging watermelon flavor and one thing that I love about these edibles is that they taste great. Sometimes you get some edibles that pack a punch but taste horrible and drops I have to be careful with because they taste so good that I just want to eat them like a bag of Sour Patch Kids. With drops you can choose your edibles based on how you want to feel. That's possible because drops are made with live rosin, a solventless full spectrum cannabis concentrate. As a full spectrum concentrate, rosin contains the full array of psychoactive compounds in cannabis which work together to give each strain its unique effect. All of their cannabis is flash frozen and processed into that live rosin. The flash freezing prevents plant material from decomposing and preserves terpenes that evaporate during the traditional drying and curing processes. They come in 10 different flavors and strains to choose from, including several CBD variations. You can find drops at your favorite local Oregon dispensary. Just tap into the link in the episode notes to find a supplier in your area. Big thanks to Drops for their support. Let's start the episode. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents Podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Tuesday. If you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing 
into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. Tell a friend about the podcast. Check out the monthly playlist that I've been dropping every first of the month on Apple and Spotify. You can give the podcast a rating on Spotify if that's where you're listening from. You can hit my Venmo with a few shekels if you're uh, feeling inclined to. You know, if you want to send your boy some some dollars to get himself a tuna sandwich or, uh, you know, just cover some costs over here at Dan Cable Presents HQ. We can do all that. All of that is uh, much appreciated and whatever you can do to help boost the signal around here. Stoked to get into episode 368 of this thing. Interesting conversation with Portland-based songwriter and instrumentalist Cal Wilson. We recorded this thing a couple months back at a park in Vancouver, Washington, just on the other side of the river from Portland, Oregon. And Cal Wilson recently dropped this new record called In Your Head, which he recorded with one of my favorite Portland-based producers and recording engineers and former guest of the podcast, Cam Spees. Everything that Cam has been working on this last year has just been so good. And when I saw that he worked on this Cal Wilson record, it made me eager to want to check it out. I didn't know anything about Cal before being sent this record or before having this conversation, but I dug the tunes and I also knew that there was an element of AI involved in the production or compositions of the music which I thought would be interesting to talk about with Cal as far as where we're at with AI and and how it was involved in making these songs come to life. And I'm still not sure how I feel about it as a a creative force or tool. I'm not even sure that Cal knows yet how he feels about it, even after using it to make this most recent record in your head. And I definitely hate the threat that it poses to my friends who make their livings from their art and myself as a as a writer, but I don't think I can discourage the exploration of AI for better understanding of it and figuring out how it can be useful for creating efficiency tools for your art. But either way, I'm glad I got to uh, sit down and talk with Cal about it. And I think as this conversation unfolds, you'll find out that this was a helpful tool for Cal while he was amidst a lot of turmoil in his life, which, uh, that definitely feels like a positive to me. So we are going to jump into this thing. Send me your comments, thoughts on AI or anything else. Dan Cable presents at gmail.com is the email, or you can DM me on Instagram. All the links for Cal Wilson, the sponsors for this episode and myself are in the episode notes. And to kick off episode 368, we're going to play a track from Cal Wilson's most recent record, which is called In My Head, and this track is called I Assume. Let's do the damn thing. When you're the one who gets stuck, man, deep, deep into the web. When you're all done, no more you'll cry. Come on down here, down by the water we find. Soup to spill and hill bottom high. Feet cheeks chasing sea.
Bill's time. <laughs> I know exactly how you feel about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You have any questions before we jump into this thing? I don't think so. I'm just right. yeah, psyched to hear what your questions might be. All right, Cal. Let's let's uh, let's jump into it then. I'm excited to uh, to chat with you and talk about your new record in your head that you just dropped, as well as the the previous record, and dive into all the ins and outs of you know some of the things that contributed to to making those records. But uh, yeah, first I just wanted to like start with you know laying down some foundation for you know where you grew up and and kind of your your musical beginning so let's uh let's start there yeah sure so i my dad was a a musician um and so i grew up with uh with him writing songs in the house and having guys over playing music in the garage and you know tagging along with him when he went over to play music at other guys houses and stuff and uh, all of his friends were sort of our family friends and they had kids and we swam in their pools and they were playing music inside and so I just kind of grew up with that and then uh, my parents divorced that's such a quick early thing to drop in (laughs) my parents divorced when I was like eight or nine and then my mom moved us away from my dad and so it was that like the next 10 years you know until I'm 18 or so of really like wanting to connect with my dad through music from from afar like For sending sure. him everything I did I'm like I, I told you right when we got here I'm just just over 40 so my first recording uh platform was uh Fostex four track machine when I got when I was 12 I, I got my first guitar at like 11 first Fostex machine at at 12 okay and started recording demos and sending them to my dad just immediately and calling him and being like did you get the tape yet you know like <laughs> and uh and he was just always just really really supportive of the music I was doing and and at the time like nobody else really was so um so that's I for 12 to 18 probably that it was all about just like making songs for my dad to hear and get his feedback basically that's so cool though that you had a recorder and like learned at an early age then because it's like so less accessible to be able to learn how to do something like that at your age during that era of things it's not like you could just like open up GarageBand on your on your MacBook or just have True. these like really easy DAWs to work with that way. Yeah, well, and it took me until I was like, gosh, I don't know, 30 or something. Everybody was using um, computers before me. I was using like standalone recorders until way too late. But yeah, yeah I found it really hard to switch to computers. <laughs> yeah. I think they're really difficult. But yeah, no, I loved that that early, the, those four tracks and stuff and still do a lot of recording to four track and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And yeah. So that was really fun. I did a lot of that. And then uh, 15 or 16, I met my first like real music friend, this guy, Aaron, that was is still one of my best friends to this day. And he lives down in San Diego. We did a lot of recording together from like 16 to 20 ish. And then, uh, and I met uh, my now long-term partner when I was like 19 we've been together okay. 23 years and we've always made music together so our, my life's just kind of revolved around making music and and making music with friends and bringing friends together into our backyard to listen to it and stuff yeah. like that and yeah I mean it sounds like that was kind of your your childhood like yeah. it's just kind of overflowed into adulthood as far as you Never know stopped. being around the music and yeah. people making music that must have that obviously like had a big impact on you to see it at a young age that mm-hmm. people were doing it around you yeah for sure it was just uh it seemed like a thing you could do as an adult and not 
like it, it, it was none of their like profession. Maybe one or two of the guys, maybe it was their professions. I don't know. Yeah. But it wasn't something that I thought, oh, these guys are making their money doing this. And so I, it was just always something I knew I'd do as an adult. And yeah, and, uh, yeah never questioned it. Other, well, I have <laughs> in the last 10 years, probably. It's like I, you definitely start questioning it when you're over 30 and yeah. you made a dollar on it. <laughs> I think that's just like part of the thing in general, even for the people that are financially successful about it. You're just like, there's maybe like some level of self-doubt or just like these questions of like, I don't know, even when things are going well with what I'm doing, it sometimes I'm just like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> like, yeah. why am I carving out this time to pursue this at For the sure. moment, you know? Yeah, it can feel really selfish. I, I, I That's been, in, especially being 40-something and not having kids and stuff, it's like, yeah. You start to wonder, you know, am I putting the time into the where where it needs to be and stuff. And now that I have nephews, it even gets harder because I really <laughs> want to be around those little guys and stuff. And um, but it's, uh, I, I just can't get away from it. I have yeah. to, I, I have to keep buying equipment and <laughs> keep making music. And yeah, just addicted. <laughs> Do you have any idea like what that is in you that like you feel like keeps bringing you back to it or just kind of like forces you to find the time to do it? That's such a good question. I mean, it's really been. Like I said, it was uh, my dad was the the main factor for my youth, and even going into my twenties, I would still everything I did, I'd sent him, and was yeah. curious what he would think. And I think a lot of it, you know, as a uh, younger person, it's all about expression and just making sure people are hearing what you're doing and hoping that you're doing something really neat that nobody's ever heard before. It's yeah. all that kind of stuff. I think as an older person, I, I, I in the music, having done this now thirty years or so, it's like I I don't even know. Um, I don't even know what the driving force is anymore. I still think there's something about, I, I definitely really like the uh, being able to record something so I can hear if I'm doing better mm. year after year. Yeah. It's almost like playing golf or something. Like you're just, you know, playing against yourself and, and kind of being, trying trying to be a better evaluator while also trying to be better out on the mechanical side and all, it's all that stuff. So for me now, I think I'm just really excited when I hear something that I'm like, whoa, I couldn't have done that a couple of years ago yeah. or something like that. So that's that's probably my main driving force now. I still I, and I love uh, the the musical part's wonderful, but like uh, I for me the lyric has always been what I've been obsessed okay. with. And so I when it comes to the writing part of it, I still I don't even know why I'm writing, but I love it and it makes me uh, I just I like putting words on paper and 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 trying to come up with something that feels new, I guess, and like philosophical in a way that I haven't heard it put before and, and that kind of thing. So I think it's just always trying to track down that new thing. Yeah. yeah. And did you uh, start writing lyrics in some form then from a really young age, like as young as you were when you picked up that guitar and started making demos kind of? Yeah. Um, I think it was seventh grade, maybe. I remember like I had a teacher that did a poetry unit and I felt like Oh, I'm I'm a genius in here. I can write the most amazing <laughs> stuff, and I, I still have that book. And I look back That's on nice. it, and it's the funniest. It's the dumbest thing I've ever like. It's obviously terrible because it's just it's precocious young yeah. person yeah. poetry. <laughs> I, but I was trying, and you can look back and think, oh man, I'm glad I tried. But uh, it was earnest. It was. It was very earnest. <laughs> and I think I just I've always been super earnest. That's that's something my dad always used to say too. And I always I I didn't I took it as a positive until <laughs> not too long ago, and I went. Was he like saying I wasn't very good? And I think that might have been part of it, but I, it doesn't. <laughs> At least you were earnest. At least you were earnest. Exactly. That's yeah. So I yeah I uh, I think earnest is probably the moniker that I have gone by most of my life. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that because you were exposed to the poetry in that way that it was always kind of came from an angle 
of wanting to like process the world around you through what you were writing down? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I like, I, yeah, I, I think all kids probably are, you know, whatever that thing is they're obsessed with is the way they're processing. And I think I just never grew out of that. And it's just been, yeah, just constantly processing the world through the through the lyric reading writing I like doing all that kind of stuff and and the music part honestly I, I love it it's it was the first thing that brought me into all this but I, I didn't even really start understanding music or feeling like the music part of it was important until maybe three or four years ago really which is really funny I mean it was almost the decoration to the words until three or four years ago right. now I'm like really understanding music and I love music more than almost anything else but it took 25 years of <laughs> going like what I actually asked my friend he makes beautiful music and I asked him like I was like how do you decide what chords you're this is five or so years ago and he he was like i don't even know and like that made me go down the line of like the theory thing and try to figure out what why are people putting cor- this chord with this sound and, and yeah. so I've, I've spent the last five or so years really trying to figure out like why am i m- making sounds the way i'm making them and yeah so yeah. i mean i would imagine too that kind of like goes back to maybe your desire to want to like see improvement mm-hmm. too it's yeah. like you want to like keep learning things to to see that evolution yeah for sure it's like when you hear your friends making music that's obviously better than yours and they're just sitting right next to you you got to ask the question <laughs> right like why why is your music so much better than mine and, yeah. and they're always nice and say that you know yours is better than theirs but like uh in <laughs> in the meantime tell me what the hell you're doing <laughs> what is it that's making the songs so much better so um yeah i just i've been lucky to have some really like genius musical friends who I could sit and be in awe of and and I think that's really really important so yeah I think it really went from my dad my dad's uh influence to to being influenced by those buddies who are really pushing things forward even though even though they don't know what the heck they're doing either they're just doing it for the same obsessed reason but yeah yeah and all that was happening like in this Vancouver slash Portland area so I I was in LA for my child up until I was 10. Okay. Uh, then my mom moved us out to Memphis. And then from Memphis, we moved out to the Tri-Cities in the, the east side of um, Washington State here, where it's okay. kind of the desert and small small town kind of feel um, when I was like 13. And then I was there for until my early 30s. We moved over to Vancouver. So I've been here eight, eight years uh, now. So I, most of my music actually happened in this small town over on, on the east uh, side of, of Washington. And it's um, it's such a weird place. I don't know if you have spent much time in small towns or if you're a Portland guy forever, but music in a small town is, a, is an interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> T- tell me about, tell yeah. me about that. What, like, what was your experience with playing music in a small town? Because I'm yeah. not like Portland born and raised. I've been here 10 years and I grew up outside of LA, like 40 oh. miles outside of LA in the suburbs of oh, Southern cool. California. So yeah. I've never lived in a small town, but I've, I've definitely like spent time in them and seen like a fair share of the country and realize, you know, that those experiences are very different and yeah. just like the ways that those, those towns work, you yeah. know, and just kind of knowing everybody and their mm-hmm. business. <laughs> There's a lot of that for sure. Yeah. I, I, and yeah. So I think, gosh, it, we'll, we can start definitely that there's a lot of the business uh, everybody knows your business thing yeah. mom was a secretary at an elementary school and so like she knew everybody and everybody would like if with the day i started driving people were like calling her like he's driving fast through our neighborhood <laughs> like it's okay he's just learning how to drive it's all right but yeah so there's a lot of that um but i think the the greater sense of like making music and at least in that small town it's a sort of conservative area I, which what, whatever it is what it is um but the thing you get i 
it just feels like there's nobody there to support you. Like the older generation's not there to support mm. you. It's just you and all your buddies trying to figure out how to like carve a little spot where you and your buddies can hang out. Yeah. You don't even want the older people coming to your shows. Right. It's not like I'm not I'm not trying to expand this audience. I just yeah. want to get a place where me and my 30 or 40 friends and maybe their 20 or 30 friends can bring come and hang out and yeah. and listen to music and that was always so complicated to try to make something work. It was like noise ordinances or whatever. Police were bang, banging down the door, whatever it was. It was just there was something a, a problem there. So it was it just always felt like you were fighting against something. Yeah. Um, in the early like nineties when I was listening to music in that town and going out and like watching local shows and stuff, it was like very punk heavy. And like, it was a bunch of like guys that were just pushing, like it felt like they were against everything and it felt so cool. And I was just like, you know, just (laughs) fist in the air kind of, you know, it was exciting. And, and I, after that, I mean, I've always made very quiet sort of introspective music and I wasn't really I, I was still pushing against the same stuff they were. It just didn't feel that way. But <clears throat> it just feels weird because um, you do. You feel like you have to push against something that is um, It's very uh, nebulous, you know. It, nobody's coming at you and being like, stop making music until you make it somewhere and then the police come yeah. and stop you. But like, <laughs> actively, nobody's like, your music sucks or anything. Mom's being very supportive. All of our parents yeah. were and stuff. It's it just like there was no real, like when you get to Portland, there's people like, Hey, there's actually places for you to play. Come out here and make maybe a couple dollars, you know, make some people excited. And they've never met you before rather than all your friends just coming. So it just is this very, very different place. Um, Also, like, you know, you end up becoming very uh, insulated by this group of friends that are all musicians and... I think it becomes way harder to like be friends with anybody that's not that sort of weird group of yeah of weirdos and then you go into a place like Portland and basically everybody's like that and then you stop I think this was the really interesting thing. I got here 8 years ago. I had a whole album ready to go and stuff and I went out and I thought oh I'm going to be this really new different thing and I got here and like everybody was just like me but like a little better and I was just <laughs> like oh this is not good. So I spent like that was really when I I, I got very introspective and like what am I doing? Like, is, mm. is my music as good as it should be? And I started asking a lot of questions and trying to get better at at the mechanical side of it all and the theory side of it. Just yeah. because I I just didn't think I was measuring up to the Portland thing, and I still it's it's really it's daunting, you know, going out and trying to play shows in Portland and Seattle and seeing these bri- uh, just any show you go to, it's there's brilliant people playing music. It's really wonderful. Yeah, that is definitely like the thing of going to a city where a bunch of people are. Like, it's cool because you do, like, find that community and you find a bunch of people that are also pursuing this thing. But, yeah, yeah, it can put some things into perspective because I also, you know, growing up in the suburbs, we would go out to L.A. to play shows or whatever. But there wasn't, like, a lot of time spent there building any community or really, like, getting to know local artists. It was, you know... A little, I'm sure a little bit different than like the small town thing, but also felt similar in the way that it was like very suburban and there wasn't like a whole lot of people doing that. You had like a handful of people playing in bands that you maybe knew at your school, but it wasn't like a lot of people doing that. And it was kind of like a lot of people asking you what you're doing. You're playing music and there isn't a lot of support for it necessarily other than like your parents being excited that you're doing something fun, I guess. But Mm -hmm. it was also like, yeah, when you do come to Portland, 
you can find like an older generation of people where you're like, oh, I do want these people's support. Like these people that live in this city most likely live here because they appreciate the things that go along with living in a city and having like art to support and things yeah. like that. But yeah, then you find out that there's a lot of other really great people doing that thing. And I remember, I mean, I started playing when I moved up to Portland, I was playing like a lot of open mics, you know, just myself and my guitar. And I don't really play music that much anymore other than at home here and there. But like when I started doing the podcast longer and longer and started to get to talk to all these musicians that I like really respected, I was just like, there's no way I can let these people know that I even play music. <laughs> like, this is not like, it doesn't feel like it measures up to this thing. So I understand like yeah. the kind of questioning you can go through, but also hopefully like good fuel for the fire. Did you find that it like really pushed you yeah. to get better or like to get to a place where you felt confident kind of sharing your music in these circles? Yeah, I mean, it was really depressing up front because I, I truly did not believe I belonged here um, musically, not because anybody told me that, but because I felt myself that way. And But yeah, over the last seven or eight years, I put out that record three years ago called Cult of Love, um, and I spent, oh gosh, that was a, a, a set of songs that had been sort of probably 15 songs that I... Uh, they were constantly dwindling, like one would fall off and a new one would come on to the point where there was probably 80 songs that went into that record. Yeah. It was just the last 15 that made it to the album. Yeah. But, you know, when, when you do a bunch of songs like that, when you write just 80, 90 songs over the course of a couple of years, you definitely tend to just get better at it just from just from the practice. And I, I or you're or you, maybe I'm becoming more uh, just like I'm drinking my own Kool-Aid or something. But it's <laughs> like but I but definitely after a. a I got to a spot where I felt like, okay, I can listen to this now and it doesn't make me feel like kind of cringy. And like, I think you, you go through that process of making yeah. 30 songs that feel super cringy and then the next few don't. And then you're like, okay, well maybe I got a, th a thing there. And so, yeah, I feel like I, it just settled on, um, settled on a vibe I liked and made sure I was understanding kind of the, the chordal stuff that had to go into that and that's what Cult of Love was was a very like learned record and then this next one was the next one the one we're here talking about is uh was much more of like an exploratory thing a very art art thing and just kind of going at it from a lot of different perspectives and trying to figure it out and so yeah it's been it's been a long evolution even just like the eight years I've been here and I'm only now having spent time in the studio with with Cam Spice and the like the guys from um, heat warmer and like learning from those guys and just kind of like feeling very overwhelmed by how good they were at what they were doing yeah. with them kind of making me feel comfortable in, in my own skin there and like getting through something really cool like that the confidence built and I feel like I, I, I yeah there's now it I feel like I belong at least in I can at least show people stuff and be confident that like I belong here now You're, like proud to yeah. share it right so eager, I think that's a good to share it. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So was there much music put out by you prior to the Cult of Love? Yeah, you know. Record like was there stuff that was put out not under your name or yeah. like under band names and things like that prior to that? Yeah. So um I uh, my uh, my 
partner and I have been making music and we made music under the name The Seaworthies for a lot of years. Okay. Um, and that was back in like the early 2000s. We made like our last stuff in 2010 or 11 okay. and haven't made anything since. But um, put out a handful of songs between like 2003 and 2011 there and did a little bit of touring and stuff, but never really rose. Uh, it, once MySpace went away, yeah, right. Like everybody, anybody who was like even halfway big on MySpace, once that went away, it was just like, ah, never mind. Let's not bother anymore. It's like, sort of how I and maybe it's uh, it's like if Instagram went away now, like I don't know that I'd even have any friends anymore. Or something. Like, you know, like it, when MySpace went away, it just felt like music ended for a minute. And so it was like a a year or two where that felt very strange. Um, and that was like 2011, 12, something like that. So I yeah, um, we haven't made music since then, but. I have uh, I've always given lots of music to my friends. It's I think pre Spotify days though. Like, what does even releasing music mean? It wasn't really any <laughs> anything really. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was just like yeah, putting out CDs and yeah. selling them at shows. Yeah, totally. You know? I mean, it's that was it was real, but like now. Now, like uh, 20 years from now, somebody can look me up and find it, whereas they can't look up anything that I made right. from 15 years. It, yeah, <laughs> it just didn't some, exist. I, you got that old Reverb Nation. Yeah, you know, it, Reverb Nation. Gosh, I forgot about Reverb People Nation. are still using Reverb Nation. Totally. I found like festivals recently that only take submissions unless you have like oh, a Reverb, Reverb Nation <laughs> account. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know this that this was like a relevant things still. <laughs> no, that was like the only thing my dad put stuff on for a long time. So yeah, I didn't think it was relevant because my dad was making music on it, which was... <laughs> Were you always pretty comfortable sharing music in the live setting and like expressing yourself? Like I know you obviously loved writing lyrics and expressing yourself that way through the music, but what was it like for you in the live setting? Uh, yeah, I'm, I've never been real comfortable live. Uh, well, I wasn't a very good musician, I think. Like I was saying, like the, the, because the words was the important part and the music yeah. was sort of decoration for the words, it just didn't feel like every time I would have to practice so much. And then yeah. when I'd get there, I'd just mess up a lot and I would be apologizing. I couldn't like make it through a set without apologizing, which was something that I like. <laughs> I I felt like that that was like a, I, I've overcome that now, I, I think. Um, I, I do think I said sorry a couple times at, at the last show, but yeah, no, and it, it really took, it's gotten, it's about we're getting like better at mechanically knowing where my hand's going on the guitar. Now I feel so much more confident on the guitar that I feel it's, it's easier to get in front yeah. of people. But before it was just, just rote memorization, just sitting and, and playing these same songs for a month or two and still not feeling comfortable with them at the end of it. So no, I've never really loved playing live, but I love it now because I think the songs are fun to play. I really like my songs and I like, they're a challenge. There's a boatload of chords going yeah. on there. There's a lot of melody happening. And so it's it's almost like, I don't know, it's, uh, I, I did a lot of running for a long time in my life and it's like the seventh and eighth mile of a eight mile run where you're kind of, you're exhausted, but you got that last mile to go. I, that's how playing live feels. Like the second I get on stage, it's that eighth mile. It just feels like immediately, like I'm feeling winded and sweaty and like, <laughs> but at the same time, like, uh, I just so badly want to do it for myself and like want to, I also, you know, when you, when you're running by somebody in that eighth mile and you're running really fast and people are like, damn, that guy looks like he's running like crazy. Right. Like I still, I want people when I go out and play my music to kind of have that vibe too. Like he's a little off the tracks right now. It's a little wild, but yeah. like, but, but it's, 
it's vibing. It's earnest. Yeah, it's earnest. Exactly. <laughs> no, but they like you want them to know that you're like really pouring yourself into it yeah. as well. Yep. Yeah, and then at any minute it could just go totally wrong. I, that's, a, <laughs> that's a good feeling for me. <laughs> that's a, that punk rock spirit that's that's, <laughs> that's in right. you from yeah. the small town days. That's right. <laughs> if it's gonna go wrong, I'm just yeah. You're. You, you messed up coming and seeing me. It was bad. bad <laughs> it was a bad move. <laughs> oh man, I think that Cult of Love record is really cool. You got some killer jams on it, like that "Something so. in the Trees" song that opens up the record. I think that, that is like a great song and should be on like everybody's summertime jams list. Like that just feels so good. pretty drawn toward the the older music you know like because it, it does feel very like especially like a song like that with all the harmonies it definitely has like that beach boys beatles vibe to like the music that yeah. you've put out thus far or at least like that's what i pull quickly and i think maybe you know you sh- you show some different dynamics with the in my head record for sure where i like start to feel like there's some of that elliot smith that lives in there and things like that too but were you always pretty drawn to the the older music that that is yeah i so maybe i mean being 42 i think we're we're probably into older music just being older people but like yeah. um and, and uh i think it's because uh, i grew up driving around LA with my mom in a little Honda Civic hatchback. I remember this little orange car and we were just blasting Tom Petty all the yeah. time or the cars, you Absolutely. know? And so for me, that's like, that is new music still because I grew up with it, you know, but like, um, so I love, I, I loved that stuff growing up, but really like my, my music, my music was when I was 12 or 13, you know, Nirvana, uh, I mean, Kurt Cobain, died when I was like 13 and so yeah. that's like one of those formative moments in your life when you're just like in love with a band and this and and you can tell something's going wrong and then he, he dies and all that I feel like those were the formative moments of my like I, I, they're sort of dork and maybe, maybe they're not dork I shouldn't say this on a podcast right but just say whatever you want oh, okay well, <laughs> I'll well, jump I, I'm, I, I feel know. like Pearl Jam and all those kinds of bands are sort of dorky to say are cool now no, like absolutely maybe not, not. Okay, I'll cool. jump in the water with you okay awesome uh, I still think Pearl Jam is an incredible band okay awesome good okay maybe, uh, I'm, maybe I'm wrong about maybe that. we're maybe we're wrong together <laughs> but I don't know so, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know I grew up in yeah we it, living in the Tri-Cities that's three and a half hours from Seattle yeah, I was gonna say that must have like yeah had to have had oh, an impact huge. like it had an impact on me growing up you know two states away yeah so i can't imagine being that close to it and then also like seeing all the music that's being made around you must have felt like it was being all like 
born out of like what was happening in Seattle. Yeah, it was totally, it felt that way. And it also, a lot of the guys, I mean, it was what we were doing in, in the Tri-City, or what the, they were doing in the Tri-Cities. I was just there watching these older guys do this stuff. But like, I mean, they were like 19 or 20 and I was 13 or 14 at yeah. the skate, the skate West watching uh, guys make amazing stuff. But like, it, it definitely felt different than what was happening in Seattle, but it, it felt like a, either a reaction to, or it felt like, a, like, hey, can we be a part of it? I don't, I didn't know the guys, so I, it's hard to know what they, what their motivation was, but yeah. I mean, it was standing outside those doors and listening to some 19-year-old guys just rocking so hard inside, you know, doing their sound check. That's still like one of those formative memories of my being 12 or 13, 13, 14, whatever, sitting outside the doors and hearing the sound checking happening. I'm just like, it's still, if I can close my eyes, I can still think about, like, feel it, you know. And, and, um, yeah, I think so. It was just all about that stuff that was happening. The, I think the Tri-City scene was, it's always oddly been very um, DC, uh, Washington DC music oriented. Like Discord was always like a thing that, uh, a lot of the, the bands there were into that sort of Discord sound versus like the sub pop or um, what was happening, you know, uh, Killer Rockstars or K or any of those things that were happening. Yeah. For some reason they were, it was a very Discord scene. So it felt, uh, it was cool being there and seeing that and then going over to Portland and seeing the more, what at the time was sort of, there was like very uh, big like metal and punk shows happening, but then there was this like the Olympia thing was coming down here a lot and like just y- a very dark city. It totally. sounds like during that time, it as was, far as like but it was what music was being played. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, and like, but then there was also like things like Built to Spill and Little Wings and yeah. all these like little like very cool melodic things that were happening, and I was through that same era I was just falling in love with all those bands too and like Modest Mouse out of you know what were they they were right up in Issaquah Issaquah, so like any all that stuff was happening right around here and it was just like um, it was uh, really inspiring I mean I remember hearing about Elliot Smith when I was maybe 19 or 20 or something and you fell in love with that guy so did you kind of like know just as much about the more indie scene as you did with the mainstream because of like we grew up in the you know the golden era of mtv i feel like too yeah, yeah. where that was i don't know that was something i was like pretty glued to as soon as i i was like a, a latchkey kid for at least a few hours of the day Me you know too. i came yep. home from school and there was like often a couple hours before the parents got home oh yeah and i was just glued to that thing first thing i would do for was come sure. home put on mtv you know and oh, yeah. it was like the good the good times of that i felt like there was a lot of like amazing music What's in like, the mainstream at that time. What's like the first, um, if you think about back on like the the video that was playing like all the time when you're thinking, like if you think back on, I've got one in my head and I'm just and curious. It's hard to not pick Teen Spirit and maybe that's oh, just because yeah. like we've been talking about Nirvana, but I think the other one was like Green Day's Basket Case. That's, yeah. I was the same. Like that over and over. And I was just, Dookie is like from yeah. one of the first albums I became obsessed with. Yep. You know, like that, I had that CD and the tape yeah. just playing non stop. Me too. I, I drew the Dookie symbol all over my, like, uh, my, uh, you know, uh, peaches and that kind of thing. Yeah. The Green Day videos were so good. They're so cool. That one in particular. Yeah. That That's the one that is like, as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, basket yeah. case. That one. And for some reason, like, uh, 
and, and I never liked them at the time, or him at the time, but uh, I, I have like a, a respect for him now in a weird way. But Ozzy Osbourne's videos, for some reason, okay. like, stick in my yeah. mind. Like, Mama, I'm coming. Wait, wait, Mama, I'm coming home. That's Ozzy. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That song, for some reason, the video still in my mind. I don't know why. The was, Jeremy like, one from Pearl oh, Jam, yeah, too. That was, so cool. that was yeah. like a very, I remember that being a heavy one, yeah. like an impactful one. It was just like, okay. I feel like that's the one thing really missing today is like, I mean, everybody's making cool videos, no doubt. Yeah. And like, but like, there's something about like getting home from school and like turning on the TV, and then you're some weird little band for, out of Seattle's playing on <laughs> on the TV. It's like so strange. Yeah, maybe I just like don't know what it is, and maybe it exists. But I'm I am like kind of surprised, even if it's not happening on actual like cable television, that there isn't some sort of like YouTube broadcast even of something similar mm-hmm. to that. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's also just like a, that was such a crazy time in music because you had bands like Nirvana and like even Green Day who came out of this very DIY punk scene out of the Bay yep. and they're on the radio like nonstop. They completely blew yeah. the whole thing open as far as like what could be pop music mm-hmm, all for of a sure. sudden, you know? Well, and those guys had come to the Tri-Cities a couple times and played shows and stuff and it was just so strange like watching this band that I'd never gotten gone and seen them I didn't yeah. I didn't get the lucky enough but like it was cool I mean you'd seen the I'd seen the flyers coming yeah. through and it was just weird that this band now on MTV it's so so weird uh but yeah so I think that for me that it, my whole life I really do when I think back about uh about moments in my life it, mm-hmm. it's always compared to like what was happening in the music at the time you know you look back at the early 2000s and I'm thinking about Elliot Smith was happening was on the radio and whatever was happening or or on my on my not on the radio but on my uh, in my car yeah um you know i so yeah i've always just sort of every everything in my life has has revolved around what's happening musically and i feel you <laughs> yeah i don't know i have like i have a big record collection at home yeah. and i feel like most of the most of those albums i associate with like a person or a like a time yep. or a place or you know yeah oh but jumping back to the question the this was a long-ranging uh discussion around a very specific question and that question was have I been into old music? So no, I, I like Tom Petty, Cars, right? And then by the time I was like 13 or 14, I was way into like what was in quotes the grunge thing happening at the time okay. yeah. or alternative or whatever they were calling it uh, or we were calling it at the time. But um, I never really liked the Beatles or any of those bands until six or so years ago, five or six years ago. Okay. And then um, it was really in quick succession. It went like... I. I got way into Pet Sounds, then got mm-hmm. very into like Revolver and all yeah. of the Beatles stuff after Revolver, and then went, okay, I guess maybe I like everything the Beatles have done and <laughs> the Beach Boys. And then I got into like the band and music from Big Pink, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And like, I, yeah, now that's like all I listen to okay. is the old stuff. But it took me getting to be 35 to like uh, like hear it and understand it. I mean, yeah, I've, I'm on like a pretty similar t- timeline, oh, you know, like cool. four years younger than you. And like it wasn't up until I moved up to Portland when I was like 27 mm. I like slowly got into like stuff like I I never really been through the Beatles catalog yeah. that much or like listened to those albums like intently mm-hmm. front to back and like definitely had my Beatles awakening way later than a lot of people like my dad was always playing you know music from his childhood and and shit he loved but he just like wasn't a big Beatles person, you know, it, yeah. and he was more like on that Jethro Toll and yeah. like showed me Phil Collins at a young age. And like, I mean, he definitely just like 
he loved music yeah. too and showed me a lot of stuff and like the cars you mm -hmm. know and patty loves the stuff that was always playing and I liked all that stuff and I, I always continued to listen to it with everything else like while I was developing my own shit but yeah it wasn't until like 10 years ago where I do like the Beatles deep dive and realize the genius around all that stuff or the yeah. band and the yeah. Beach Boys other than like those radio hits that I had grown up with you mm -hmm. know so that was yeah. definitely like something that blew my mind way later in life so for sure yeah. yeah, same here. And my dad was, again, also same like yours, not into the Beatles or any of those kinds of like kind of any of those bands. He was into Steely Dan, which I couldn't I couldn't stomach until I was like he, that was my favorite band in my 20s. But when he loved them and when I was in my teens, I was like, what the hell is what this? This is terrible. This? It's, it was the antithesis. It was the exact opposite of everything, like Pearl Jam and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. like, it was, yeah. So it took a long time to understand it. But yeah, no, I think that was part of it. Uh, coming around to the older music was was finally like going, oh, okay, maybe there is something to this. Like it's maybe it's not just crusty old, <laughs> old stuff. And like hearing and finally falling in love with and. The Steely Dan live record, it's called Live in Live in America or something like that, maybe. Anyway, that album just like completely changed my life. When I realized like how good these guys were, uh, I it yeah, I was like, okay, maybe yeah. old, I could give a old music a spin. <laughs> Such a different art too, like the way that those guys made records, especially yeah. you know like Asia and just how they technically broke everything down and brought in so many yeah. different musicians to play different instruments on each track and mm -hmm. like really got i don't know like took full advantage of the recording studio experience to make this like flawless oh yeah record which still somehow has like all this feel yeah in it and all this like cool hip shit going on while like the grunge and the punk thing is like purely based on feel and exactly. the performances are not perfect totally and they can't be or it's not as cool somehow it, that's exactly it that is so that's so the exactly it yeah i think that's a part of like a lot of my friends and i like i was saying one of my buddies is just a brilliant musician would always say i don't know why i'm putting the chords that i'm putting with this it's just the way it sounds that kind of thing and i that i feel like all of that stemmed from that 90s like stuff where we it wasn't about or we didn't think it was about people who knew what they were doing yeah. it was just straight heart or whatever but then you learn later those guys knew what they were doing they know what a one four five like what all yeah. the key changes are and what they sound like and stuff and i think that that i'm actually kind of pissed about my childhood like uh influences because they, i feel like they were lying to us the whole time they know what they knew what they were doing you know if they didn't they wouldn't have been making music like that it was just too damn good to or at least somebody did they had a george martin in the studio with them that could push them the the right way a steve albini or albini or yeah. whatever that guy's name is you know um maybe they didn't know what they were doing and those guys did but like I do, I feel a little resentful toward the people who were like, it, you can do this with heart. No, you can't. Maybe you can. There are brilliant yeah. people out there doing it with heart, but that is hard to do. I spent 25 years just struggling sure. at it. I wish I just had this much theory knowledge so I, could, <laughs> so I didn't struggle so hard. I can still put the heart behind it if there's theory, yeah. theory and heart can go together. Well, I guess like the heart of the 90s and why like so many people picked up guitars at that time was like the you know the explosion of power chords yeah. and it made it so that so you easy. didn't have to be like some technically sound guitar player to be able to write songs and play sure. music which is like amazing and, yeah. and to like find out that you know Kurt Cobain in his own way you know I guess was trying to make like 
these like Beatles-esque songs. Like totally. and that's what came out. Like it's it's such so a weird. different sound, you yeah. know, that influenced that. So. Yeah. And I mean, to not get too deep into theory, but I realized like a big part of that is like you, when you play those power chords, you're only playing the one and the five. So you're not giving it a major or minor. You're, like this, the chord itself isn't getting a, a an actual like a sound to it it's just these two notes and you can sing whatever the hell you want with it so it it ends up like if you know what you're doing with that you can make some really weird things that go in and out of the majors and the minors and suspend things and yeah so it's pretty uh what Kurt Cobain was doing without knowing he was doing it amazing yeah that's and if he did know what he was doing even maybe more amazing that that he had like theory behind but yeah no I when you listen to the just those songs I, I think that that unplugged record they made in whenever 90 whatever 92 or something like that 91 90 that stripping all that stuff back the songs are just so freaking good it's like so good yeah and just his genius to play the songs that they did and how pissed off VH1 was (laughs) or MTV was that like he made that song selection like they were not stoked all the like old uh, like blues all the covers Yeah, and yeah. they were not pumped that oh, they, that he wasn't going to come out there and like play all these hits mm-hmm. and like and then it became like an instant classic, classic thing for sure <laughs> it was instant classic <laughs> I remember when that dropped so you know going back to the the cult of love record yeah. the the first cal wilson record that's available on on all of the things <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all those those songs had been like brewing for a long time and kind of around for a while then they had there were some of them that had been for since like 2005 i think okay. it's probably the oldest one the in a different light is uh was a song that came from like 2005 and kind of came along with the record all the way to the end point yeah. um and some of them i made in like 2018 or 19 but yeah some of them are 15 years old and some are very new but yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so did you find that it was like really important that like the sequencing was kind of like a big part of like putting that record together and figuring out like what actually made sense together since it was made in such like big large amount of time yeah albums have always been really important to me i like listening to albums front to back i never listen to a single song on like i'll never i just go listen to a whole album or i'm not going to listen to anything at all um so yeah making sequencing a record is really important to me knowing what songs come in after the next and uh yeah like even i can even like a song and if it does just doesn't fit in the sequence it'll just get tossed or whatever so um yeah sequencing is super important uh and was it hard to i you know i think it maybe even became easier when you have something that's being strung along for that long because you get so used to what the vibe of it takes so long to feel a whole vibe of a song and not just the moments in a song so i think holding on to something for a few years and knowing what the feeling of the whole song is makes it easier to place in that in that album yeah cycle yeah and once you got that one under your belt like did that inform a lot in the way that you kind of wanted to move forward in in making the the yeah. in your head record or cuz I don't know just like jumping to that record like I said I think there's like some great songs on Cult of Love but I think even from the opening of getting into in your head like something felt a little more like sure-footed about it or like yeah. maybe I could like, like I can tell you why that feel <laughs> that confidence or maybe just uh I don't know just maybe if some of the songs feel like a little more focused where that first record can feel like a little psychedelic and dreamy mm. at times i felt like yeah this one has like a different 
focus to it. For sure. So, I, and that first record I recorded, all those instruments are me playing, uh, except for the bass, which is uh, Luke Bergman plays bass on that, who played on the second record too. Whereas the second record, though, it's all I, I just play guitar and sing on it. The rest is all other guys playing. Luke and Aaron O'Time and uh, Evan Woodle. And those guys are brilliant. And um, so I think there's a little bit more sure-footedness in just that those guys are pros and they know what they're doing and can really, when you explain something to them, it doesn't take more than, for some of those songs, the uh, like the pedal or the, the uh, lap steel stuff, I was just like yeah. singing behind Luke and he would just be able to immediately make it work and make oh, it amazing. sound beautiful. Yeah. So when you get a chance to be able to describe something to somebody who's mechanically so sound, you're going to get something that's more sure-footed. And that's really what I ended up with on this one. Um, the first one, I it was okay sounding and then at the end I sent it off I like I had done all the bass on it and everything um, but I sent it to Luke to do bass because it, it was just so much better yeah so yeah in that in that regard I feel like the um, there was a big a push for that second for the second record for me to use more outside sources and like not try to like play every instrument on my own because obviously it's better when I mean his bass just livened up the thing like immediately um, it was so much better and he did the mix on that one too so dude the instrumentation on the first record is really great so oh, thanks that's amazing to like know that you played all that with the exception of the bass and yeah were you just kind of always picking up different instruments along the way as far as like being that person that wanted to like make their own recordings at home yeah i i just being from a small town you know you end up with like a very small crop of musicians and they can be as brilliant as you want them to be but when there's only that many of them you're sharing them with other people and or they just get a job that and yeah. so you can or have kids or yeah. whatever and they just disappear on you and so yeah you just end up having i i felt very much like i had to just depend on myself to make my own music and so yeah and also i just get obsessed with stuff and i want to learn how to play everything and so for that one i yeah i just did everything I could to make it sound as good as I could and um but then sitting in a studio the later with real musicians though you realize just like how much you're missing in Mm. in doing that just because there's when you when it takes you so long just to get something down you don't get the chance to test out 10 or 15 different ideas you know yeah I would imagine though like you know even if you didn't play all the instruments on this this new record just being able to like make more clear demos or like be able to maybe communicate with these people at least like in a way that you really understand like what you want and how to Mm -hmm. communicate that you find that like that's at least helpful yeah well and that's yes for sure i i like communicating i have like a I, i like writing my songs out and putting the chords down and like i have my books are very clean and crisp and I print them on really nice paper and so like it's an obsession a little bit but that was really helpful going into the studio with people who could like get that and immediately interpret it as multiple different ideas versus like hearing a chord and just needing being able to strum the chord or something like they could take that chord and turn it into like a whole world and being like is that what it should sound like and going like no it's like a little more there's more like you know raw energy to it they go okay well how about this you go that's it you know stuff as well as I can and I and it was incredible to be able to describe stuff to people who understood it you know to a really deep level like that and that are gonna like serve the song totally. also yeah and not just like 
try to yeah. put a clinic on on how good of a musician <laughs> that they are on the track. Yeah, it was like the exact opposite of how, how good they were. They were like, <laughs> let me get out of the way of this as much as I possibly can. I, all four of those guys, the, from Cam recording it to the, to the guys playing, it was just they really, there was no... It was the first time I've ever felt like there was zero ego in the room outside of mine. It was just people just wanting to make my songs better and not really caring if they're, it felt like not caring if their names were attached, which yeah. is always a weird thing because you wonder like, did they, do they not like it? Do you want, not want your name attached because you don't, <laughs> you can, no, but they really, into, it was, they were into what they were doing and just like wanting to serve the song so well. Um, but, and, and just so professional. I, I've just never experienced something like that before. So I think in that way, um, I think this last record's going to really inform what I do going forward because of sure. such a new experience there. I'd spent like 25 years really recording only my own music, me playing my own stuff, and then bringing these guys in and going like, oh, wow, that's so much easier and so much um, more fun and like so much more unexpected, like what came out of it and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that was cool. I also would be, I, I cannot... I want to make sure I talk a little bit about the idea, the AI stuff too, yeah. because that I don't want to like go on pretending that like <laughs> like as though like I wrote these songs all myself and that and that these beautiful demos informed everything they did. What Cult of Love was 100% me. I'd written these songs over the course of 20 years, like I said, and AI. I'd never I'd never heard of AI at the time. I mean, yeah. I knew what it was. We, there's been movies about it, but um, but there wasn't really a, in 2019, 20 when I was. Putting, recording and putting that stuff out it was there wasn't AI to play with at the time but then in 2000 early 2020 I heard about um, some AI different, different things that were coming out for AI different tools and things like that and um, and I wasn't interested at all it just didn't seem I was just like that seems stupid it's never going to be interested like why would a computer make music yeah. there's no point to that what's the right. point of it right and then and then my dad died in uh, June or in Gosh, it was June to August of uh, of 2020 from COVID, and it was like just a couple months of like the hardest thing I've ever dealt with, and Sorry not to not to that. be like super dark for, but like no, the, it's a part is, of the record too, know, right? Like, like so, yeah. you know, feel free to share as much as you yeah. uh, feel comfortable, okay. but yeah, like I feel like that's yeah, it's obviously had a big impact on the music that you it, made and this record that is out now, and obviously there's always been. You know, you loved sharing music with this guy. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. So it was super complicated because, yeah, I got done with this album and sent it to him and he loved it. And he was like, you're still making earnest music, bud. Like really excited for me. <laughs> yeah. you know? And like, and I was just so excited to make more stuff and send it to him and all that kind of stuff. And, and he didn't take very good care of himself. He was a guy that didn't live the best life and stuff. And so when COVID hit, I was really nervous. I got very, very nervous right away. Thought about moving him up here. Um, but didn't, and within two months he had just he got COVID, and I got a call, and and I was like, uh, and and I'm I was his next to Ken. He has nobody else in his life. He basically, I mean, I, like so I had to make all of his last decisions for him for like the last couple months, and he was in a coma for the whole time, and it was just when you're being woken up every night at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. to make a some medication decision for two whole months, like. Yeah. I was just a walking zombie. I was trying to work and trying to like live my life and trying not to be scared of this freaking pandemic that was yeah. happening. And we were all terrified because there's no vaccines at the time. And like, and dealing with it on this very real, real level where your dad is super, like dying. Yeah, exactly. And like, it really affected me. I mean, without, <laughs> you don't have to, I probably don't even need to say that. It really, like it would anybody, right? Like it was, a, it affected me a ton, um, both 
losing my dad eventually after a couple months of making these medical decisions for him and also that whole couple months of being woken up and being terrified by every phone call I got and like it just really turned me into a really really I mean I've always been anxious I've always been kind of a, a worry wart but like that made me over like it put me over an edge I just yeah. have never been at before and I spent like I don't know July through December sort of just walking like a zombie I mean through my life and not knowing what to do and kind of like trying to figure out how to process it didn't get a therapist still don't have a therapist everybody hates me for it not really <laughs> I shouldn't say hates me but I'm joking um, <laughs> that's amazing dude. Uh, but uh it's um but yeah no I was just like t I was sad and miserable and scared of what was happening around me and fucking Trump was scary as fuck for the yeah. last couple well for the whole time he was president but god the last couple of years was terrifying I, I was just at my end and just I couldn't mess. figure out how to, I was and I couldn't figure out what to do all I could figure out what to do was get up in the morning and do my work and like I was sleeping throughout the rest of the time and like yeah. just trying to figure out which meant I was also not I wasn't processing shit I wasn't uh, I wasn't writing at all okay and and so that is eventually i i found a few like multiple different ai um tools that i just kind of got oddly obsessed with i think probably that like un the unknown you know like uh, i don't believe in god or a heaven or any of that kind of stuff yeah. um and i to to me the odd the way that you can play with AI, like a computer, and the, the the computer can give you something back that's very different from anything you would have ever imagined, is just like it's as close to like a, a god sort of situation as I ever have ever kind of experienced in real life. And so, like every tool I played with was just this like, whoa, holy shit! Like I can ask it questions about my dad. I can ask it like whatever you know. Yeah. I, and at the time, it wasn't as much asking questions because that's that's ChatGPT now is the thing yeah. that you can do that with. But like <laughs> you couldn't do that a couple of years ago. But there were ways of interacting where you could ask it questions where you could feel your way through a thing and yeah. and it could give you things that were really surprising and that came from outer space it felt like and so and that was just, happening like while your dad was going through all this and I think happening it, or? I can't recall if I started working on it while he was going through that or if it if it was right after but it was in that it was in the midst of all of it I started playing with that stuff just kind of like it, it, it was so easy to play with I mean yeah. it's like it's so easy to put a prompt into something and then listen back and and evaluate whether it's cool. Where, whereas yeah. it's way harder to sit down and write for three hours to like. So <laughs> yeah, out. like I don't even. What was yeah. that process like that you were like throwing? Like how were you throwing stuff at it and yeah. how was it returning your ideas? So the the initial thing that I was using was a thing called GPT two, which we're now on Chat GPT four. I don't even know how that those two things really compare, but Ch GPT two was sort of one of the beginning parts. There must have been a GPT one. I didn't get involved in that, but GPT two was this thing you had to like basically jump on to a. I, I used Google Colab, which is like a, a notebook. It's called a notebook that you put in uh, Python code into, and and then so you interact with it through uh, programming language. And I just happened to know a little bit of programming, and I'm not a good programmer. I don't okay. know any of that kind of stuff. But enough that I was able to interact with these weird little tools that were just programming only. But the first one, GPT-2, you could take it and put, <clears throat> you could like create whatever you wanted from it. And I think you can do the same thing now. But but the idea is like you could take, let's say, forty thousand poems that you found online, um, and then put it into a thing and ask it to create a model of that type of poetry, and then say, hey, give me. 
a thousand poems back and it would just give you gibberish basically but that gibberish sometimes would have like four words in a row that were like those four words are brilliant and you okay. can take the and so i was just utilizing the randomness that the the gpt was throwing at me in these like fake poems um and it was usually just really weird words all jumbled up. And I was forming those weird jumbled up sort of poetry puzzles into real poetry. And I think that was for the first like five or six months of the whole thing. It was really just that stuff, just playing, like not having to write words from scratch, not having to like dive into my own brain to write from, but like letting a computer algorithmically give me something strange to cook up, like, okay. like a weird recipe made from a bunch of different uh, foods that, um, don't go together but like yeah but you if in the end you have something that kind of tastes fun and um, then you're yeah. then using that to like inspire like fleshing out a full so then song a long ways down the road uh, or i guess it would have been in in the time scale of the pandemic six months down the road i i learned about another tool that was music oriented and you could put in uh, and i don't want to say what it is because i'm just kind of worried about the um the legalities of whether, I mean, even if they did come at me, there's no money involved in this music anyway. I've lost money on it, so they can come and take, but, uh, but yeah, so anyway, OpenAI Jukebox is what it was called. Okay. Um, and so Jukebox allowed you to put in, um, uh, put lyrics into it, pick a, uh, a style and an artist, and it had thousands of artists that you could pick from and stuff. And you would just sit there and wait like 10 minutes for five seconds of a song. It would just be, you'd put in a thing and it would give you back five seconds of a song. And usually it was garbage. It was just like, and then it would stop. And you'd okay. go, okay, well that wasn't any good. But every once in a while you'd get five seconds that had like something there. And then you'd let it keep going. And it would usually take me like all day to run a minute's worth of music. But like once you got it rolling, yeah. It, it would really give you some amazing shit. Like you could, if you fed it your own stuff, it would like continue singing back in like the voice you were singing in. Oh, and all the, it was very strange and it would take your lyrics and like sing them in different melodies and things like that. And so it was just a sort of the same thing of like, it, you know, just waiting for something weird algorithmically to come out and present itself to me and for me to hear it and go, whoa, that was really special. Let's what, what can this become? Yeah. So yeah, it was just, it's like mining for gold, basically the whole the whole time yeah you're really like just becoming like a curator to some degree yeah with that stuff too yeah you know? for sure yeah it's like uh like making a playlist of stuff that didn't like shouldn't exist <laughs> i don't know yeah. like, it's weird but but the the randomness of that and not having to start from scratch i think just allowed me to get out from you know in front of myself like get 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 away from the like all of the emotion that's tied up in trying to write and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it became more of a puzzle. It became more of a game. And um, I still, I mean, I don't think I've processed any of what's happened through it. It's not like, I, I don't, or maybe I have, I don't know. But it for me, it just like, it passed the time. And yeah. like, once enough time had passed and I had a few songs, um, I actually wrote like a hundred and, it was a like hundred songs or something like that over the course of the last year and a half. Um, and in that, in that time they became real songs you know like just like yeah if they you know when they threw me random words and i spent a bunch of time forming them into something it, those finally became real poems but like initially they ne weren't necessarily and that's kind yeah. of the same way the music worked and really what happened there was once i started building these things i didn't have the musical language to kind of do it 
well. Um, so I uh, called Aaron Oatheim, who played uh, piano on, uh, and keys on the on the album, and uh, basically spent like six months, once a week with him, talking through all these songs and kind of like, what are the chords here, and trying to figure out how to play them, um, and what we can do to make them interesting, and 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 that kind of thing. And so Aaron was a real like co-writer on this yeah. stuff um, uh, from the beginning, uh, and then um, yeah, it was just a. It was a really interesting exploration more than almost anything else. I don't know if I'll ever use AI again to make music. Like, I feel like at one point in my life when I was doing it a lot, I was like, oh, this, I'm going to do this forever. This is great. <laughs> and now I'm like, uh, it was a really fun um, and really interesting thing to like jump into the AI thing, like right at the very beginning before the yeah. stuff was really well fleshed out and well formed. Um, it's still really fun to play with now, but like, it just felt like the Wild West still kind of does. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, Honestly, it was a lot of fun to be involved yeah. in. Also, dude, if you found that to be the thing that distracted you through this, like, terrible yeah. time in your life, then, like, who gives a shit? Like, that's <laughs> awesome that you found something yeah. to, like, cling to a yeah. bit and, like, to keep you busy. Mm-hmm. And so you wouldn't necessarily say that, like, in your head, lyrically, is you processing all of these things that you went through. <laughs> I mean, I think it is. I think accidentally it is probably. I mean, yeah. yeah, I think there's no way to get around it. And when I read the lyrics, it's like obvious to me that the, that I'm I'm like working through all that stuff. Like well, it's definite, yeah. right? But, and I think that's the thing is like when, with uh, even, and I'm a, still a bit of an AI apologist today. I, I, I can see that it's probably, <laughs> I can see that it's going to probably be the thing that ends the world and that it's going to take a lot of people's jobs. And for that, I like I hate that I like I don't yeah. like the idea I wish it never came around for that this album's not worth that right but like at the same time um, I can still see that like as an artist it is so intriguing and so uh, it's so intriguing that it can give you like a thousand different ideas to mess with the one you're going to pick is going to be the one that's closest to you right like so right. I think even if even if you spent all day listening to somebody else's music, right? Like you're, and you pick a song to cover at the end of the day, that song's going to resonate with you in a way and probably describe what your last year of life was like unconsciously, you know? And I feel like that's kind of what I ended up with there was those words were me picking, it was me picking the saddest freaking words I could think of probably just to process stuff without necessarily allowing myself to have to feel the emotion and, and put that emotion into it over the course of like, creating the lyrics and really like forming them i'm sure i turned them into uh a a real like self you know it's just self-exploration yeah yeah i mean i think there's definitely like there's some darker tones to the record too you (laughs) know there's some darkness to this one yeah i really love uh the opening track to in your head which is home of the pale horse oh cool yeah and um specifically like the songwriting like those tunes on that record one of the things i dig is like how much relief often happens in the chorus mm. how big they get oh cool yeah and it just seems like uh they really they really open up you know that's good to hear i've always wanted to make things that weren't wasn't just like a single vibe all the way through a song i 
um, I like those types of songs too, for sure. But like, I've always wanted things where they really open up in different areas and <clears throat> breathe in different ways and stuff like that. And I think those guys and Cam, especially as a as a, uh, an incredible producer, would uh, those guys just are were really good at helping me find where something could take off or slow down a little bit. Yeah. So all credit due to those those folks for a lot of that stuff. And then uh, you know, I I also having grown up with Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that, we know how to hear a really nice chorus. I mean, those guys were, regardless of how uh, disaffected and, and punk they were, they wanted to write beautiful choruses. Yeah. I <laughs> and, I, and I still love a great chorus. I can still really be brought in by the pop, popness of it all. feel like he did for you like within the process as far as like bringing your ideas to life I guess Cam was really laid back in a good way um I was very nervous to go and meet with any of these folks like I'd, I'd only been working like I said I'd worked with Luke, Berg, Luke Bergman on the previous record I'd worked with Aaron a little bit writing these songs but I hadn't met any of them in real life we'd just been doing stuff just over the internet and kind yeah. of friends, friends of friends kind of thing. Um, but yeah, same with Kim. I was just sort of always inspired by his songwriting. I liked uh, what he was doing before in, in uh, what is it, Radiation City? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I always come up with the wrong name on that, but I, yeah, he, such a great songwriter. The and Night Heron stuff is Yeah, and Night great. Heron is just ridiculous. And so I had just like been really into what he was doing. And so I got, I got, I was very nervous to like go and work with him because I just thought, this guy's a genius and there's no yeah. you know i'm gonna sit down and immediately feel overwhelmed by it but he was just so laid back and cool hey, super sweet super sweet super smart and just like made sure i think for me the thing that cam did more than anything else was just gave me the sense that like you at the beginning here made me know i wasn't gonna like get done with the day and know that we didn't record anything <laughs> you know like <laughs> he, he made me feel very confident that we were recording the whole time and um and was like very good about like listening to something and processing it and, and like allowing me to take time to process it, knowing that I didn't like have to just very quick keep moving and making decisions, but he would let me take my time on it while still moving me along. And we got through eight songs in three days. It was crazy. And those guys had really, other than Aaron, hadn't heard the songs before. They just like learned them and played them in three days. And so, yeah, Cam was just a real calming force and really com like made me confident that we were going to make something that was going to be special at the end of it which is i think the most important thing when you're making music just feeling like you're gonna come up with something at the end yeah, yeah. that dude is making some of the best records to come out of this city he's one of my favorite producers in the, the city vendors record just have you heard the new spoon vendors record yeah oh but it's just like <laughs> it's the thing with cam that kind of blows me away is that it's it's everything he's doing yeah right now and it's so much all stuff. of that music is like very different like your yeah. record is way different than the Spoonbenders record totally. or the new constellations record that he made uh -huh. or this like this seance crasher record yeah. you know it's like everything uh -huh. has this different vibe but cam just knows what to tap into apparently and it's like any anytime 
someone says that they're about to make a record with cam or they made a record with cam i think i'm like more willing to like <laughs> listen to it you that's know? awesome or like i want to listen to it i feel the same way i'm yeah like i i don't really go out to a lot of shows but anytime cam's doing something i'm always either very tempted or i end up standing there yeah. in, in the crowd because <laughs> yeah it's just so he's he's really doing some amazing stuff and i think that's there's no stopping that that guy is a force and, yeah. and it's getting it's i think he's getting better and better <laughs> i mean as good as he's always been but so those like you're saying, those some some of those new records that are coming out are so freaking good. I don't even. It is imbuing people with confidence. When you walk into that studio and he's sitting there, it makes you feel confident that you're going to yeah. make something special. And and I think that's. It is very important. That hummingbird cha- track. Oh yeah. Is one of my favorites. Oh cool. On the record. Yeah. And I know you obviously, you know, you had the AI, interaction with all of this stuff going on. But what do you feel like? has informed like your style of of storytelling at this point Mm. i you know that i don't love story i think is probably one of the things i i really like moments with people i was telling you before i i kind of do i've worked a lot of my life with people with developmental disabilities and part of that was doing um like an assessment process and i would spend a lot of time just kind of talking to folks about what they need in their life and what supports were available and so to me it's about those moments and sort of just like, I don't, I kind of don't care. Like I, when I watch, I'm watching Breaking Bad again right now for the, right. for the first time in a long, like whatever, five years or something. And um, I don't really, I'm realizing I don't care about the story. I just like want to know how Jesse's doing and like, I want to feel that like vibe. About I want to know. Characters. It is. Yeah. And, and so to me, it's just very, all my stuff is very character oriented, I think probably without knowing it. And it's just, I also very much like poetry and I like hearing things that make me question everything for a minute. I like um, Anne Carson as a poet. I, I like a lot of different, um, several like very odd poets that make things that are maybe difficult to read kind of stuff, but I come away feeling like there's something special, new in my head that yeah. I haven't had before. I, I really want to imbue my stuff in that, with that, like that, sure. like there's an abstract nature to my poetry and my, and, and my songs that I think is really important to me. I never want it to get too literal but I also don't want to walk too far into the app. It's there's, I'm really just towing, like writing, writing a line always kind of with that stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't care about story. I think is really the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that there's something that like, maybe you're able to tap into something maybe with more mystique too, when you like dive into something like hummingbird where you're able to express these feelings through like this animal or yeah. you know things like that for sure it's way easier to make a hummingbird cry in front of a mirror than for to make yourself cry in front of <laughs> i mean and that's what that one's about it's just this sad hummingbird looking out a window and seeing the beauty out there and seeing that he doesn't really belong and then looking in the mirror and, and crying basically and yeah. like and um yeah it's so much sadder when you're like when you say me on that or i or something like that versus call it like putting it in <laughs> the hummingbird
the records have of like this timeless sound oh, to thanks. it and like it's very much something that you know feels like it would appeal cross generationally you know oh. like I, I feel like yeah. I could confidently put either of your records on and my parents or people my parents age would be like oh this is cool and it would be like really hard for anybody that didn't know that you made this record this year to kind of like place its year in time cool do you feel like there's is that a conscious decision like i know you can't just say like i'm gonna make timeless (laughs) music obviously yeah but i don't know like where do you do you think that's kind of just a part of where you're at musically right now and kind of having this awakening with these different bands like the Beatles and the Beach Boys at this time of making this music and that's just like a part of like it's a thing that's in your head now and it's a part of your writing process yeah I think you're right yeah um I've definitely never like people older folks have never really been into I mean uh, I've never they, I don't know that I've had very many older folks listening but like my family people who've listened have always been like great job you know but like it's never been like that's really cool stuff yeah. this album is the first one where people are like seriously like this is really good and so what you're saying about older folks liking for sure it's there's something about it that is a little more I don't know it's easier to understand maybe uh, maybe my words are a little clearer or something or there's something in it that that folks are able to um, latch on to or it's the, just that like vibe of the Beach Boys and the Beatles that kind of brings yeah. them back or whatever but yeah for sure um, I'm not doing it on purpose I really am trying to make um, confounding abstract music and while at the same time be, like totally being in love with pop the popness of the like punk music I've always listened to and all the weird like I mean shit like Dinosaur Jr like you there's never not an amazing chorus in a dinosaur junior song and sometimes it's just guitars and stuff but like my parents couldn't listen to that stuff yeah like but so there's something about yeah i'm not really sure but i think maybe i'm just striking that like middle ground of like not getting too loud or saying not saying anything too overtly like sad or for sure yeah i would imagine like part of it's like just dialing in certain guitar tones and their instrumentation that you're using as well you know kind of like speaks to maybe that era of things yeah are you often writing on piano and guitar like is it a pretty like equal split and do you feel like each one really brings out something different in your writing it does now so i for i I was not a very good piano player up until just recently probably the last year um i learned how to play a lot of these songs and so i had to get good at it and um so before actually for this record and before everything I've always written on guitar uh, for the most part I think I've written one or two piano songs that were just in the key of C so it didn't touch any black keys basically Um, but now I'm much better on piano and actually feel a lot more comfortable there there is something there's something so much more visual about you know the layout of the piano versus that matrix on the guitar but um, I feel confident on both for the, the guitar I can really play harder songs like I can play like uh like strum harder and so make it feel more like you know when I'm playing live whereas piano it's always sort of tinkly I can't quite get that to really rock yet I'm not good enough you know in in yeah as a piano player to make it sort of really move but yeah yeah. so if I'm gonna make a pretty song like hummingbird or something that might be on the piano right now but if I'm gonna write like uh in your head for instance I still can't play that on piano I can only play it on the guitar gotcha yeah well, it's a cool record, man. Like, yeah, I dig. Like I said, I like the the tunes from Cult of Love. 
cool. as Thank well. You. And, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting to find out, you know, just like how you like made this record. You obviously had like some amazing musicians and yeah. came in the producer seat and yeah. engineering the, the thing. But, um, yeah, the AI elements are interesting. Cause it's like, yeah, you can recognize all of the, the terrible things that are going to come with AI, but obviously there's a curiosity there too. Yeah, and for sure. just to like see what it's about and, I don't know. I understand people's gripes with it, especially like artists, like visual artists. I know that are just like, this is ruining everything. But also you, it's impossible to like eliminate like the soul out of something that's been handmade. So it's not like you, you know, you weren't there to like guide it along in some way. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I feel, I, I definitely, you obviously have mixed feelings. I have mixed this, feelings. This thing that you, you that I love doing yeah. <laughs> that it's really a fun to play with. It yeah. like got me through a really tough time in my life. Yeah, I do. I have very mixed feelings about it. And I also think like the people that are long-term artists that are afraid of it and afraid that it's going to take their job. I think there's, uh, there's a real fear there and there's a reason to be fearful of that. But at the same time, I think it's, it's one of those things where you won't, we are living in 2023. There's been one time in our whole life where in, in anybody's existence that something like this was going to exist. And we happen to have that and we're, we're here and I can do it. And it's so freaking weird that like, I feel this, like, you know, you have to play with it. Like yeah. you, you might get burned, right? Like you want to play with the fireworks, but you might get burned, yeah. it's, it, it, but, but there are fireworks there and it's really interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you jumping on the mics with me to talk about it and talk about, you know, yeah. just the the full scope of things from where, where things started for you and where you're at now with it. It's cool that you feel like you're in a, a confident place with it where you want to, like, put this music out and, like, you're excited to, to share it. I am. I'm ready to put out another three or four songs, hopefully, you know, soon. So, yeah, just ready to keep going want to play some and play out and all that kind yeah, of stuff and for sure i kind of forgot we were recording i'm holding this mic in front of me i was just excited to talk to you so it's been a nice nice conversation thanks for the conversation no, I, really I appreciate, appreciate you um i'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh keep up with you and check out the the new in my head record check out the cult of love record if you enjoyed the uh the tunes you heard from that one and uh i want to play the episode out with the title track in my head because i feel like this one's like Maybe the one that's maybe a little like the most off the wall at it's times, super off the like, wall. and just uh, it's definitely explores some some different dynamics than than maybe some of the other songs on it. Mm-hmm. You remember much about how this one came together and like why? You know, things about titles, specifically band names, are not always great questions. But this one obviously uh, also became the the title for the album. So yeah, that just kind of like coincide with like what you were going through and then also having this ai element to things Mm -hmm. yeah i would say so there's eight songs here and seven of them i think are really in in some way about my dad and the experience of that whole thing and this is the only one that is the most like immediate of them that where it's not necessarily about my dad but it's about like what it feels like to just like live with somebody and go through something with them and like this I, i think it's in a in a real sense there's not a lot of words to it the whole the point of it is just like it's it's about uh like kind of 
being in a bedroom with somebody and making music and keeping them up all night is kind of the idea. But, you know, I think that is metaphorically, it's all, you know, this is, we were being woken up a lot, you know, by, by phone calls from doctors and things like that. And I think it's probably a little bit of all that stuff. And it just like, I think in your head, it was, uh, for me, just those three words, it was just a very, me, me being, it, I've been very in my head for a very long time, and and all this music exists just in my head, and it's all it, it also exists in in the head of the person that's trying to get sleep next to me, and all that kind of stuff, and it's so it it was just a very immediate like here I am living my life kind of song. Yeah, yeah, right on. Well, I appreciate you, uh, yeah, your vulnerability on the mic and talking through you know your experience and losing your dad and yeah obviously has added a a big weight to the the songs that you put out and i think you can you can hear that weight but i don't know like i said i think like the way that some of the choruses open up on things and where they go also like do have that relief and like some hope that lives in there as well yeah thank you so much absolutely man uh we end every episode cal with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program and it means absolutely nothing it's just the way that my grandfather says the news program he always says program for some reason so uh if we could get the cal wilson it's a program we can properly end this thing it's a program you nailed it everybody that's cal wilson links are in the episode notes and we are playing it out with that title track from the in my head record and that's the jelly jams and we will catch you on the flip side portland vancouver wherever you are listening from as i click and clack and clink i hear you humming softly Shout out to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast and for their longtime support of this thing. 
Don't forget to find that discount link in the episode notes or in my Instagram bio. 30% off your first year membership with DistroKid, helping you get your music in all the places it needs to be. And big thanks to Drops for making some of my favorite edibles in the game, keeping me fine-tuned with their gummies, whether THC-heavy or CBD-heavy. Great for stress and solid sleep. Find them at your favorite local dispensary. Appreciate the support. More info on drops in the episode notes as well. Stay up. Stay tuned.